There you go. <laughs> How many episodes do you think are going to start with us laughing? All of them. I'm pretty sure the one I just uploaded a couple days ago was... Uh, I'm pretty sure the first thing you hear is me laughing. <laughs> like, there's no words or anything before. It's just me laughing. It, I can't imagine it not being funny. So it's going to be funny to me for a long time, at least. Uh, yeah. I need to listen to that one. This is your episode. Kick it off. It's my episode. Right. So we're back to our own... No. (laughs) I ran out of things to fiddle with. No. Don't you dare touch the mic. Oh my gosh. So I'm a fiddler. You probably hear in the background of me fiddling in a few episodes. (laughs) So I put all of the things in my pockets and everything in the room out of the reach of my hands and we're not even a minute in and I'm touching the microphone (laughs) because it's the only thing within reach. (laughs) To be fair, if you've ever paid attention at, at like church, every time someone goes up to the mic, there's always someone who touches it every like three seconds and just like is adjusting it by not even an inch every single time. Just, yeah, I don't, I don't do that when I'm presenting or giving it speech in front of people i'm i need a podium because i will like grip it with the death grip <laughs> i have no idea what my hands are doing when i'm like giving a public speech or something yeah i feel like it, i guess it depends on my mood most of the time i feel like i just have my hands kind of locked together or if i've got like a podium like that i'll sometimes grip it sometimes lock my hands together but if i'm like into what i'm saying then i'll i'm not like a super you know, wave my hands to remote kind of person. Yeah. But I will, like, get into it and just, like, I want to hear it from the heavens, people! <laughs> uh, when I'm just with, like, one-on-one, like, I'm doing it now, but if I'm explaining something, I gesticulate a lot. That's what your hands, what you're talking yeah, that's is called. that's what the word's called. Yeah. I do it so much. It, like, I don't do it when it doesn't even make sense. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I usually use my hands if I'm trying to give, like, some sort of, like, legitimately some sort of visual. Like, when I mentioned the circle path earlier, y'all didn't get to hear that. Or, I mean, yeah, well, pre-recording conversation. (laughs) (laughs) We're gonna talk about Ori on the cast at some point. Eventually. (laughs) I'm... This isn't a gaming cast, but dang, I love Ori. (laughs) Yeah play Ori games, both of them. Anyway, this episode's already going to be long enough, so let's get into the actual subject matter. Um, we're back to explaining our own works, so this episode we're going to talk about my work, the one I finished most recently. I finished it last year, right? No. No, I did not. That's a lie. It was this year. It was in... I want to say February. Heck, if I know. I don't. I actually don't remember. It's been a few months. <laughs> I've had a lot going on, but you know, it's still fresh in my mind, or as fresh as it's gonna get at this point, because <laughs> I finished it. So we're gonna talk about that. It's kind of a contemporary science fiction esque, like light science fiction, right? 
like they still fight with you know guns, just also with yeah, but mechs. <laughs> so not even does mechs. Halo. Yeah, that's different though, because like these guys, it's not like it, they're in still space. using ballistics in Halo. Yeah, I guess I don't know. It's different because it's just like I kind of restructured our world almost, like, like uh, it's you know at the same technology level they just spec like they would just like specialize in different things than we do, right? Mm-hmm. So they might not have the same kind of like rocketry technology we do, but they have a lot of heavy research into like biomechanics and not biomechanics in terms of actual biomechanics no i I, I get where you're going i don't know what the term would be i don't think i have a term in the i think i have a term in the book but i can't remember what it was i get that because in my sci-fi universe there's the dialophites who i've solidly established are way ahead of humans but they don't have like all the weaponized things that humans do because their focus was strongly on how far they could push physical, biological limits, and stuff like that. Right. Yeah, so it's kind of like that. Effectively, the story began. Um, I had finished... I hadn't finished my first book. Let's see. I started this one first, right? So we have the, the one who does not die that I already talked about. I finished that in a summer. The... Um, year before in november for nanorimo this was 2019 i started this one so wait really yeah so okay then i don't think <laughs> you told me about it until after you had started i think the one i who does not die. i think i did i told well i still had the one who does not die i like had the plot out so i told you about that before but i didn't start writing it until the, like, the oh, yeah, year that's after probably what happened because i told it to you in the summer and then the next summer i started writing it or i might have started it but like not gotten to like actually really writing it until the next summer anyway uh for those who don't know NaNoWriMo's national novel writing month it's a self-imposed challenge where you're supposed to write uh that's the problem for me self-imposed <laughs> You're supposed to write 50,000 words in a month, but you can really set whatever goal you want. I don't think I hit 50,000, but I got like 30,000 that month. I got a pretty decent start. At the time, I thought it was like half the book, which (laughs) turned out to not be the case. (laughs) I think I got like maybe 3,000 words. (laughs) Yeah. But I... For me, it was more about writing every day, and I think I wrote probably like two-thirds of the days... And it was like a thousand words was my goal instead of the the 1,666 words or whatever it is for getting 50,000. So it was never my goal to get 50,000, but I wanted to write something without planning it, right? Because I had tried to write a couple books before, actually, and they had never gotten very far because I was always stuck in the world building planning stage like you've read the history yeah <laughs> the history the like, weird codec history. i made or some, <laughs> some guy like ranting about ah, i take the destruction <laughs> of knowledge very personally yeah that was a lot of fun to write just to get into the character of some like stuffy angry historian <laughs> trying to figure things out 
Anyway, so don't I don't tell him about the Library of Alexandria. <laughs> yeah, don't tell him. Nobody tell him. But what was I saying? It was. Oh yeah, I had tried writing. You know how I thought I was. I thought I was like a plotter. I guess you would call it. And I still think I kind of am, but just not nearly to the extent I actually thought I was. Because like all of the writers that I had like listened to speak about writing they were all planners i'm like i guess that's just like what people do kind of like they all said oh there's other kinds but i had never like heard from them before so i figured that's just kind of what i did and it wasn't working so for this one i was like i'm going to start something that i have not thought about before and i have not planned and i'm gonna see how it works out and so that's what i did i have a document called the back burner that's what it's called in on Google. <laughs> and it's just every time I think of like a random scene or like a line of dialogue or like two characters or something that is interesting, then I'll just throw it in there. And every once in a while, I'll look through and see if there's anything interesting that I can put in a story. And so I picked two different things out of this document. Well, the first one was just like write a story about someone who slowly loses their humanity by being turned into like a machine and they them trying to grapple with that which i thought would make a really good short story but then i kind of co-opted it into this and then the other one was write a story where there's like a civil war kind of going on and it, I, the idea was these two different characters um one of them was like just like kind of sick of being alive like they wanted to die effectively but they wanted so they're like i'm just gonna you know join this war and try and get myself on the front lines and i'm just gonna be as reckless as possible and die and they just like it just doesn't happen like they just have to keep suffering by watching people around them die sounds and like I haven't even read it, but it sounds like what somebody told me about uh, the kind of soldier Kaladin is. Yes, <laughs> which I also have... Yeah, I realized that it's kind of like that. It's a lot like that. And, you know, obviously I had read that book in that time. <laughs> I, I didn't put those connections together when I put the prompt down, though. Yeah, I told you the other day about connections I suddenly made about... A certain two characters, one being mine, one being awesome. No, just <laughs> <laughs> and it was about them trying to reconnect. And then there was another character um, who the war was like their way to improve their lot in life, kind of. Like they had a, nothing to lose, essentially. And I, I, I think I had them fleshed out more in the thing. Obviously, I'm not remembering this very well. It's because it didn't really end up being a big, important factor in the actual story. But it helped me when I was originally writing it. And honestly, I think some of the, like, the main reason <laughs> that I actually ended up writing the whole book is because the introduction I wrote, just I was just, like, going off whatever. I, I wanted it to... I didn't know what I was doing... I'm a new writer, so obviously I'm going to start it with an action sequence. <laughs> yeah. That introduction was lit. <laughs> yeah, that's why, yeah, that's why it, like, made it so far. 
So I came up with the idea for the hounds, which is an acronym. I have no idea what it stands for. <laughs> Didn't you write it out once? I think I did, but it, I don't remember. Wasn't it like human operated united? That sounds, that sounds uh, no good. No distribution. <laughs> I don't know. That sounds pretty good. It has a meaning, but it's not as important as just like, you know, obviously hound is like a more menacing word. Mm-hmm. That's why they called him Hound of Rowan. Hey, call back to last episode. <laughs> <laughs> but effectively, they're humans that have um, replaced limbs that are, they have like, they're basically Dr. Octopus, <laughs> but instead of having their normal limbs and the metal tentacles, they just have their arms and legs replaced with artificial, longer, bigger, stronger metal limbs. And sometimes they have extra, so they can have like six or eight legs. And essentially the process is extremely painful and obviously irreversible. But and the people that do it it's only for like military purposes at this point because they just don't care about any practical uses it might have so essentially they kill they turn people that like are like people volunteer for this to happen because they're like so patriotic or so indoctrinated by this horrible militaristic society that they basically turn themselves into monsters so they can be more efficient at killing and so that was kind of the idea and the opening sequence. I think it's, I still think it's really good. I've like gone back and fixed things a little bit, but it's mostly just like word choice and like flow and stuff to, for understandability. I still think it's like really good and yeah. some of the best I've ever done. Honestly, if that wasn't the first thing I had read about that, <laughs> I don't know if I ever would have like kept re reading. Right? Because the beginning's a little slow, but kicking it off with that intro I'm like <laughs> let's go yeah and you um reading it and being like hey write more it was like big motivation for me to keep writing it because it's at times i was like eh, this is i don't know it's not really going anywhere it's kind of weird but anyway i'm like don't you freaking throw this away yeah so i kind of started off with the idea the same idea from the back burner document of the soldier who's like lose like has lost you know his companions and stuff uh so we start off with dylan i am his name is dylan yes. <laughs> for a second i thought i had mixed it up with something else anyway sorry for a second i had a flashback <laughs> to again when we recorded last episode <laughs> since i was just editing that a couple days ago so I'm like, you mean Derek? Wait, no, hold on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, that was that was probably it. I rem I remember my own characters' names. We're fine. So Dylan, he's in the intro, and his whole unit kind of gets wiped out, and he, you know, just kind of wanders off. That they were kind of on a spy operations mission. They got out of hand, and. <laughs> the team when they see the hounds this is getting out of hand <laughs> now there are two of them <laughs> yeah they kind of get wrecked by hounds that throw the whole mission off and he's the only survivor and so he kind of just gives up and tries to move on and just like leaves essentially he's like doesn't have plans to go back and report 
to headquarters or anything like that. He's just completely defeated at this point. And then it goes to one of the two main perspective characters, Lee, who's an immigrant. So there's kind of a tension between these two island nations near each other. It's like the story. There's all, like there's going to be like from the very beginning, you know that there's going to be war because they're already technically fighting. It's just more like secretive at this point, kind of like undercover, like with the spying mission. But there's a lot of tension between the nations and Lee is an immigrant from the like the weaker I guess we would say like less aggressive nation although they're both kind of awful <laughs> <laughs> so it's him um, he's gonna meet with a friend and they rat him out to the secret police and so he kind of gets caught he goes to jail he has like a sham trial I'm kind of breathe, like breezing through this stuff because, as usual, something happened <laughs> midway through writing this. And so a lot of this early stuff, it just doesn't seem as important to me anymore. Like, if I was going to retell the story, I might cut a lot of the early stuff out entirely. But him going to prison is important. And along the way, he meets Dylan, in, and they kind of become friends in prison. It's like a prisoner of war prison although it's still early in the war so they don't like officially call it that and it's just like a repurposed they kind of shipped out all the old inmates and now they're just including like political prisoners in this prison so he's kind of amongst his own but not really because he wasn't fighting he was just trying to live his life and since he you know was born in the wrong place he kind of got shipped off to this prison and they meet with an older prisoner named Malin, who is also a spy. And he's been locked up for a long time, since, like, the previous tensions, like, years ago, that kind of begat these tensions that are now boiling over. Hmm. <laughs> that would suck. So he's been in prison for, like, you know, 40-ish years. Very Count of Monte Cristo-esque, the priest. Have you read that? I have not, but I, I understand the plot. Yeah. Very much like the priest in Count of Monte Cristo. He, he like knows all the guard patterns and stuff. He's very knowledgeable about the prison. Like All the guards like him. They don't see him as like a threat. But he's been plotting an escape for so long. Except a few years ago, the man he was trying to escape with, like his best friend, died. And he kind of just lost the will to, like, what's the point anymore, right? Like, I don't have anything outside the prison anymore. Like, I, what would I do? It was, the man he was with kind of, like, brought him in. He's actually a second, like, immigrant times two where he got lost at sea, got found by the nation Lee's from. They don't have names. <laughs> they have names, but I never... No, the, <laughs> the name of... was Bracket Country. <laughs> <laughs> they have names, but uh, I came up with them like at the very end of the story, and so I just wasn't putting them in enough to remember. And I always just thought of them as fake Italy and fake Britain. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll just use that because it's easier to remember. So Lee is from fake Italy, and then he moves to fake Britain. <laughs> and... Yeah, so Malin is got lost at sea, and now he's in fake. He was in fake Italy, and he he kind of got brought in by this guy who was 
like very passionate about his country and he kind of feels like he has this strong life debt to this guy and he owes him everything so when the guy decided to become like a spy he went with him to kind of keep him safe and they both got caught together so they were going to break out together but now that his friend is dead he's lost the will to get a get out because he's like well i'm gonna have to go tell this guy's wife and kids that he's dead and like i don't have anything left out there so i i don't know he just kind of is depressed pretty much understandable yeah but he gets talking with lee and dylan and they're like already friends and they're you know he kind of re they kind of rekindle his fire to want to escape and so they're all planning to escape together and I'm gonna, I'm gonna try and tell it more like it's told in the book this time. Like last time, it had I have two perspective characters that kind of go back and forth, and I really and like that style. Ignored Tate for most of yeah, the and I so I, I just told them one at a time last time, but I kind of want to tell it like it's actually in the story this time. So I did the two perspective characters again, because like I said, I like having two. I think three would be too many for me. And one wouldn't be interesting <laughs> enough. Warriors. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah, so I stick with two. I might do... I'm going to do different stuff at some point. But for now, it's just been two and two. And so the other character is Claire. And she's from fake Britain. And she's a scientist. And she's... Uh, she has changed a lot since I started writing the book. Those are the best characters, the ones you can go back and oh be my like, gosh. holy crap, this is not even the And same I love person. it. I love how where she went. It's so I love it a lot. Not, you know. Well, you'll you'll know. You'll know. You'll see. You'll yeah. see. So she's um she kind of was raised a little bit poorer, but she worked really hard to like go to school, get an education. And so now she's working towards like accessible hound technology essentially she did a lot of studying into that field like i said before it's all military stuff so she did a lot of research into that but she wants to make it more accessible for everyday people and like more humane essentially because her younger sister was born without the use of her legs like they're not gone but she can't use them so she's in a wheelchair everywhere she goes and so Claire wants to essentially, like, is doing all of this for her sister, but also just, you know, for humanity as a whole. She's, like, very altruistic in that sense. And very early in the story, her funding gets cut, like, severely. And she's, like, trying to find a workaround, and the war is, like, kicking up. And so she decides to work for the military, essentially doing further development for their already existing technology in order to allow her funding to continue. But, you know, her team doesn't exactly appreciate that, right? They're all, they're kind of young, younger, f fresh from college. They're more idealistic. They're more, we'll say, like, open-minded, we'll say. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. The book didn't start politically, and I wouldn't, say that it's necessarily like a political book but it does deal with like the politics of fake britain because that's where most of it takes place <laughs> and they're very much like fascist so oh uh, yes fascist <laughs> britain. 
<laughs> I mean, they, they, they had a king for a long time. That's not too far off. <laughs> anyway, not political. <laughs> but essentially, a lot of them just don't want to work on the project now that they know their research is going to go towards killing people. And so they, most of them quit, except for two of them stay on. Like, one of them's her best friend, kind of, from, from college. He's not, he doesn't really, um, he doesn't like it, but he trusts his friend. He trusts Claire to kind of do the right thing when necessary, and he's really passionate about what they're doing. And the other guy is more... He doesn't care, right? <laughs> he just needs a job. I'm here for the paycheck, and that's it. Yeah, you Don't learn. You learn much later. I'm just gonna point it out now in case I forget later. But you learn. I won't forget actually. But I'll say it now. You learn later that he actually lied about his qualifications. He's like their head machine guy, right? And he's supposed to be like this master genius of it. But he's just. He just has lots of practical work. So he's kind of working overtime to like kind of catch up to what he's actually supposed to know. So he's been like a hindrance to the project, but he's slowly getting a lot better at it. And now that when he's he's one of the only people left, like the stress is amping up for him because there's going to be more focus on him. And also he's more important to the project, so he's less likely to get fired. <laughs> so she's under a lot of stress for like these deadlines and stuff they have to meet. And it's not going well, obviously. Things are kind of falling apart. Um, she is working under some military guy who's like really understanding of her situation. He's like kind of a he's kinda of nice to her. He's trying to help her out in any way he can. And like they keep barely making deadlines and the deadlines like honestly are like they're not accomplishing much. And eventually, like, the war is starting to amp up even more. And so the military is like, let's cut funding to all these useless side research projects and just start making bombs, you know? <laughs> and so her research is going to get cut. The guy over the project, the military guy that was actually nice, gets replaced by someone who's much more strict. And he just gives her, like, an insane deadline. And it's like, accomplish this or you're done for, right? This is what we expect. This is what you're going to deliver or you are going to be out of luck. And so she just they just start working like they don't they sleep at the office, that kind of thing. And someone they get a new team member essentially. It's like an advisor um and it's her name is Dr. Steele and she's very important. She's an important character. She didn't start that way. She kind of grew into her role as a very like she was just going to be like a taskmaster kind of, right? That actually knew what was going on. Interesting, but... because when you first introduced her way back when you started writing, that was my instinct, is that she's going to be important. Okay, that's good, because she is going to be important. <laughs> but she's... I knew what you were going to do before you knew what you were going to do. <laughs> she was like the original creator of this hound technology, right? She was kind of the head researcher that kind of did all the grunt work of trial and error, which we won't even get into the human cost of trial and error for this kind of technology. <laughs> not a good place to live. Just not a good place to live. <laughs> even worse place to be homeless. <laughs> yeah. 
for real though or to be a political prisoner which we're going to get back to <laughs> so she i in on one hand claire has a lot of respect for this woman because it's like this was the person i studied and like this was the person who paved the way for me to be able to do this at all but on the other hand she's kind of in an antagonistic role at this point where claire wants to keep her research as general as possible instead of really getting into like the weapons side of what she's doing but you know the military obviously that's what they're there for so they're going to try and keep dragging it back as far as possible and claire is like justifying it to herself as you know the war won't last forever and eventually we'll come out of this and i'll have more respect and i'll have been you know doing stuff and i'll have this kind of thing that i can say i did and also any research you know any research can help right any steps even if they're not necessarily in the exact direction i want they can still kind of get us closer to our end goal she just wants to do something right she's been studying all this time she's been working so hard now she finally has the chance and she's not gonna let it go kind of no matter what is her her mind so they start working uh, with dr Steele's help they're actually making a, more progress than they thought and they manage to meet the deadline of what they're supposed to hit and they need to start and the military guy's like wow i didn't actually expect you to do that so here's another insane goal i want you to meet also you need to start actually operating on people like i want you to have this implemented on someone right and so she is like okay so they need you know they need test subjects where are they gonna get test subjects or patients <laughs> where are they going to get patients <laughs> for their operations and just they... occurred to me i wanted to be like you stole this idea from me but i stole this idea from somewhere else <laughs> <laughs> subconsciously but i did yeah oh you mean the, <laughs> the subject thing yeah <laughs> the yeah. where do we get test subjects part <laughs> yeah well they go to a military prison right we don't care about prisoners lives and we care even less about you know filthy degenerate prisoner lives from fake italy <laughs> yeah so they go there and we go, we're gonna go back to lee in prison mind is blank lee in prison so they're lee mellon and um dylan have kind of gotten a rough prison escape idea ready like it's changed like mellon had a really good one but it's kind of changed a little because they have new people and you know they're not certain they can do it with as many or like it's going to be more difficult but essentially they're going to pretend they got out like they're going to hide in the prison just not in the spot they're supposed to be and like you know in like one of the less prison areas and like where the guards kind of stay and stuff so there's more places to hide and they're going to pretend they got out so while the prison's on lockdown they're just gonna hunker down hiding in like the same spot for a few days and then once like security is lax again after you know whenever the prison lockdown lasts they're going to sneak out then officially and right before they're about to do it um lee gets some unwanted attention from the warden this is one of the other parts i'm like i'm not sure i want to like i'm going to include it or if i do it's going to be different 
but essentially they force him to do like impossible tasks and then like beat him when he can't do them that kind of thing and he ends up getting his leg shot and like passing out so like crap how are we gonna do this like lee's totally out of it and then like this is why i might not do it because claire comes to the prison anyway and takes him away so it's like i'm kind of having two reasons he can't um join the prison escape with them but like either one of the reasons would be better to just have one instead of both like if i just have him be too injured then he can kind of get, have like a you know you guys should leave because like there's an opportune time to do this and i'm not going to be okay for a long time it's so like you guys should get out or i should just have the he gets taken away all of a sudden and it's like oh now all of a sudden lee can't do it with us right because now it, it it was oh he's injured so he can't do it with us and then also it takes away from the thunder of oh now he's gone so he can't escape with us anyway he gets taken to do experimentation on for various nonsensical <laughs> author's hand reasons he's kind of like the best he's the, like the first subject there properly test and also i actually have good in world reasons or vaguely good in world reasons essentially the engineer guy right that was lying on his resume i'm gonna give him a name because i'm gonna talk about him more mason was his name he recognizes lee from before lee got um captured he was a prisoner or he was trying to find various jobs and they worked a job together so he's worried that lee's gonna recognize him even though it was a long time ago and so he's like hey we're gonna probably be killing like a bunch of these subjects right so i'm just gonna get him over with as fast as possible so we work he fudges the numbers on like how compatible he is with the technology and has him selected first for like you know we're gonna put one of these limbs on him and see how well it takes or whatever without making him go insane is like what they're trying to do first because the military likes these insane super soldiers but they're like how much more practical would it be if they weren't crazy <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they could strategize better and plan better and pull off more complex complex missions if they could keep their minds so that's what they're trying to do and lee's kind of like done at this point right and we kind of go into his backstory he has like a he has a lot of flashback chapters which you know now's a good time to get into that as any i'll just round off this with saying he's he's done he's been kicked around a lot he's similar to dylan in that way where he's just kind of given up on like trying to fight his situation anymore so his story starts as a kid he has the disney backstory dead parents but you it's better because they actually die like i think you don't actually ever see them but his mom dies during the first flashback he's a still a little kid they're really poor so he's out trying to like steal from people in the streets and like the richer part of town and it, uh, the embassy is passing like the like the armed embassy right from fake britain is passing through this is still they're kind of it's still like a um tense time but the war hasn't really like 
very few people are like thinking about war at this point. And the ambassador gets assassinated in the streets and they his like entourage kind of just starts killing civilians and like burning the city that they're living in. And so he's running away from that and when he gets home his entire street has been burned down and he goes into his house and it's like all burnt out and he's just like okay well this sucks and then he realizes his sister is still alive and it's just them left and like their mom you know she might be buried under the house she might be dead somewhere else but she doesn't come back and so they're all on their own and eventually like the country like fake Italy's government kind of gets around to being like well, well let's fix this stuff so they're in their house that's burnt out they've just been living there and someone shows up and's like hey you can't live here anymore like we're gonna bulldoze this place and build new houses and so they have nowhere to live and they kind of get sucked in by the systems in place by into the state and they get put in an orphanage but Lee's like too old to be in the orphanage so it's just his sister even though he's really young Again, neither country is a very good one to live in. <laughs> There's very little funding for the, like the, what's the word I'm thinking of? Social care, I guess, system yeah. for kids. So he's off being a child worker, you know, the American dream. <laughs> <laughs> Hold on, I thought we were in fake Britain and Italy. <laughs> <laughs> the fake Italy dream. <laughs> so he's works... Um, originally it was a, as an electrician, it was going to be like, he was actually learning a practical trade that would give him like a good future. And then he risked it for something else. But now I'm going to have it be, he's working as a mechanic with Mason. Still practical trade, but. Yeah. Yeah, I guess it was going to be more like a car mechanic kind of deal, which is, you know, still, still a practical, practical trade. trade. <laughs> I don't know why in my mind. It's because I, when I was writing it, I had a roommate who was studying to be an electrician. And I was like looking at how much electricians make. I was like, dang. <laughs> Honestly, though. But yeah. So he also works at the docks part-time, like unloading and stuff. And he gets, he unintentionally discovers smugglers. And they're like good-hearted, but he thinks that they're going to kill him. If they, if like... He doesn't like do something about it so he's like oh i'll join you guys i'll work with you and so he agrees to work with them and he becomes a smuggler and i'm gonna tell it as it's told so we're gonna stop there that's the first flashback is him kind of saying goodbye to his sister and being like i'm gonna go make a lot of money and we're gonna come back and we're never gonna want ever anything ever again right he wants to take care of his little sister even though he's also just a kid so then we go back and, you know, Claire and um, Lee are in the same spot now. They're in the same kind of like their stories are now. They've they've aligned, right? They're doing the same thing, the just on the other side. <laughs> the convergence has happened. So Claire, she's like kind of apathetic towards what's happening to Lee. She is like, she wouldn't. You know, she doesn't want to do this to him. But, like, you know, it's still part of her greater good cause. And she's kind of butting heads with 
Dr. Steel. She's butting heads with the um, military guy in charge of the operation. She's just extremely stressed out all the time. And they meet a deadline. Honestly, her chapters are kind of repetitive of constantly having to be overworked and meeting deadlines. And I'm not sure if that's to its benefit or a downfall. Cause I like think I'm, you're really just going to give the average American worker a heart attack. As they <laughs> right. It's just like, on one hand, I want it to give the feeling of like monotony and like repetition and like just soul crushing death that is being overworked. Cause that's like, I want the reader to also kind of feel that. But at the same time, I don't want it to be boring and repetitive. So I think it needs to be toned back a little bit. How does one make a montage in a book? (laughs) Like, the whole thing is just one montage of, oh my gosh, work is impossible. But she goes home to her family at some point, um, to her stepmother and her sister. And she has, like, a nice little talk with her sister. And she doesn't get along with her stepmom at all. She's like, they hate each other. So she, you know, she doesn't really have that home environment that she's, like, looking forward to. So she's, like, all in work mode. And she kind of, that's part of her clashes with her coworkers is, like, she's fine being all in work mode because it's her dream. But they're sacrificing a lot to be there with her. And she doesn't appreciate them properly. That's, like, kind of the conflict there. But they get to the point where they just need to... attach their metal arm to Lee so they just chop his arm off (laughs) and attach the new one and they just do it in like they don't have a proper lab they don't have proper anything they don't have the funds to like get it done in like a actual hospital so they do it in the break room (laughs) sweet mercy (laughs) her best friend I want to I feel so bad not knowing the characters in my own book (laughs) their names I want to say it's Derek. He's like her friend from college. He is more on like the medical side, right? So she's got like one kind of more medical guy, one kind of more in like machine guy. And she focused on the, like the bridge between the two. So she's really like the connecting dot in this situation. So they still have everything they need. They just wish they had way more of it. <laughs> so... They get it on, and it's working, right? It's, like, better than they thought. And, like, it surprisingly doesn't, you know, drive him insane or kill Lee. And he's kind of like, wow, this is terrifying. Like, it kind of hits him, like, how severely messed up his situation actually is. And the military guy is just getting more and more impressed, and he's kind of, like, actually encouraging her now instead of being like, you're wasting your time, like, this is never going to work out. Like, we're going to cut your funding. He's now kind of like, hey, like, keep it up. <laughs> keep up the good work. I'll actually see what I can do about, you know, getting you some funding, <laughs> getting you some extra workers. <laughs> and so he wants to put on, like, a demonstration to kind of show the higher-ups, like, his higher-ups, like, what this thing can do. And so they put one together of, like, like basically feats of strength for Lee to perform in front of all of them. And hold on, he only has one metal arm right now? Yes. That would be so horrible. Your body would be so off balance. Yes, <laughs> I actually bring that up. Oh, okay. <laughs> how awful it feels. Like, how weird it is for him. And it's, like, really long, too, right? Because mm-hmm. these are, like, 
Doctor yeah, Dr. Octopus. Lamar. I've seen the pictures <laughs> you've drawn. I know I've got that mental image. <laughs> it's very uns like it do- it's not good for his body. And he but he, like what else does he have to do, right? Like you know, maybe if I do what they say they'll let me get out of this alive or whatever. You know, he doesn't really have that much hope though at this point. So he um they're kind of in crunch mode up until the last minute for this presentation as usual and they're like oh, yeah i don't know if this is gonna be work out but go for it so he's doing his things he's doing his feats of strength he's like crushing stuff with his claw hand he's lifting heavy things with it and the arm like breaks apart during one of the tests and like in like a violent catastrophic failure almost like it was designed to do so <laughs> <laughs> And it, like, it just shoots metal all up in his face. He gets, like, impaled by a bunch of shrapnel and stuff. He gets knocked out. It's flashback time part two. (laughs) In this one, he's older. It's him with the smuggling crew. They're doing, like, a bigger mission than they've ever done before. They're trying to scam, like, some billionaire from fake Britain. And things go south. And the leader kind of sells Lee out because he's the newest member. He's the youngest. And he's just in the right place at the right time to be like the perfect cover for them. So he sells him out. They leave him behind. He gets captured. Um, or he gets caught and he is the one who takes all the fall. And now he's kind of stuck with no assets and no nothing in fake Britain. And things are not going to get better. (laughs) (laughs) So that's, you know, that's like, you know, another bad thing that's happened to him. Just bad things for this guy. And he manages to like, you know, not get in too much trouble for it. He kind of is just poor now, which is still a terrible situation to be in. He's still pretty young. He finds work on like a fishing boat. And he kind of befriends the people on the boat. And Has he learned nothing about making friends yet? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's the thing. That's that's his thing is he's kind of given up on people. But he... I think there's a third flashback that I'm explaining right now, but I don't remember where it happened, so I'm just going to do his whole backstory. But he befriends them. They have a good few years working fishing, they're still poor, but, like, at least he has a place to stay most nights, and he can, have like, afford food and stuff. And he befriends this old guy and his daughter. Her name is Robin. And, you know, they're just living the dream, right? Living the fake Britain dream. Fishing. <laughs> sea shanties, the works. <laughs> and this old guy is like, hey uh lee can i talk to you for a minute and he's like sure it's like so i'm going to retire like i'm too old for this we've had a good go at it right like i still like sailing it's just i can't keep doing this forever and you know i want to enjoy the rest of my life and i don't think robin's going to take it well because he's essentially like her father because she ran away from home at such a young age and he she's just been with him for so long they have a really strong connection but he's worried she won't take it well and he's right she doesn't she like freaks out and runs away 
and he's like, hey, you like, you know, you still have me, right? Like, we can still figure something out together without him. And like, we could still see him sometimes, you know, like it won't be that big of a deal. And so she kind of agrees and now they're going to stick together and they kind of do. And then it skips forward a bunch and they've kind of become like a thing romantically. It's, you know, we don't really explore a lot of that, but you know, it's implied that they're like together and they've been living together and working together. And Lee just wakes up one morning and he's like, I want, like, what am I doing with my life, right? Like, why am I here and not, I need to go home, right? He has finally hit the point where he's like, I need to go home. He's been trying to avoid thinking about it. But like, you know, he doesn't know what happened to his sister. It's been like years and years, but he is like, I have a responsibility to know at least. And he tries to bring it up with Robin and, you know, it's the same story of like, she feels like she's being abandoned. Uh, she's got healthy coping mechanisms. She does not have healthy coping mechanisms <laughs> because she sells him to the secret police. <laughs> <laughs> so that's men. They're caught up, right? I've breezed over that, but honestly, I don't know. I think it's, I like it. And I think it's, I actually did a good job writing that part. But, you know, backstory, right? We want to get to the backstory. Act- we want to get to the actual <laughs> story. I don't know if I'm ever going to write a backstory segment. <laughs> <laughs> the flashback stuff? Yeah. Yeah, so Lee wakes up in the hospital. He's like, what's going on? And then, oh no, he's got f- all of his limbs <laughs> replaced. <laughs> so during his sleepy time, Claire kind of, they put him in a hospital because they didn't want to lose their precious subject, right? And they're like, hey, he's brain dead. Like, he's not coming back. And so Claire's like, hey, so I've, you know, this has always been something I thought of. Like, you know, how could someone who's, because she had to think, how could someone who's never walked before properly control their legs, right? They would have to have, like, to be taught, kind of. And how would that happen? So she already kind of has this solution that she's never really had the time to work on. But now, like, is the perfect opportunity to see if it's going to work. It's kind of like a chip thing that goes into their neck. Their, you know, the... So more doc. The brain chip, right? (laughs) It's like a brain chip kind of thing that they can use to control the limbs. And this is to prevent them from controlling me. (laughs) Yeah. And she originally intended it to be like, you know... You don't have to know how to walk. You just have to tell your brain that you want to walk and it will do it. It's like, it'll tell the chip to walk and the chip knows what that means. But she's like, hey, we could do like a weird workaround thing where we could potentially have like essentially mind control over the limbs only, right? But like also the brain, it's weird. It's weird how it works. It needs reworking. It's weird. (laughs) But they use this and it kind of, they can use it to like help wake him out of like bring him out of his coma and so they do and he's still alive but all of a sudden he's you know down to about like 40 percent of the person he used to be (laughs) (laughs) i'm less than half the man i used to be (laughs) exactly like literally 
and he's kind of freaks out and yeah the ending is messy (laughs) (laughs) i changed what it was gonna be about during the thing the original story was going to be more about the war but it turned out not being almost at all about the war like the war is just a back dressing going on um Claire's found much more success in her career and the story just started becoming more about her. So she's found more success in her career. She's getting more free time back, right? They're more lenient with the deadline. She's got more people working on the project with her. She's got more money. They moved to a nicer facility with like actual, like the actual tools they need. Don't have to saw (laughs) someone apart in the break room. (laughs) Yeah, they don't have to do ghetto options for (laughs) things. So she goes home. And she actually, like, gets to sleep in her own bed for once. And she's, like, ready to have a good day with her sister and stuff. And she gets in this huge argument with her mother-in-law. And they get in a fight. And she throws her mother-in-law through a table. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, It's because she finds out that her uh, mother-in-law is seeing someone else. And she, like, freaks out because, like, she felt like that they abandoned her mother um when she was still alive and like it's a whole thing it's a whole thing family drama she feels betrayed by her mother-in-law like she wasn't there when they needed her and then her mother-in-law is seeing someone else so she like yeets her through a table an appropriate response (laughs) no (laughs) (laughs) and leaves and not you know, like she can see that her sister's like really freaked out and it kind of shocks her out of it and so she just leaves and you know they have more conversations later over the phone with the mother-in-law about like this is like like she's like i'm still gonna pay for your house right because she's the one who's been making money for them this whole time like i'm still gonna pay for you to have a place to live like but just because my sister's there. If it was just you, you could die for all I care, essentially. Nice family chats. Yeah. <laughs> and so she's, like, pushing herself further and further into work because family's becoming less and less of an option she can rely on for comfort. And she starts getting a better relationship with Dr. Steele, like, kind of the mentor relationship she always imagined of, like... You know, she already learned so much from this woman, but now she gets to learn personally from her. And Dr. Steele is, like, very intense and demanding, but, like, you know, that's why praise from her is so valuable and, like, her affirmation is so important. And so they're getting closer. Lee is, like, spiraling further into, like, I don't care about anything mode. And all this time, Dylan and Malin, they've escaped prison... And they've been looking for Lee because Dylan's like just such a homie. <laughs> yeah. He's kind oh, of that's a change of pace. <laughs> yeah, he's Lee's like foil in that he doesn't give up. He's kind of like he always bounces back, right? We see him in the intro and he's so depressed, but he does bounce back. He wants to do good. He wants to do good by people who care about him. He wants to that rede- he wants to like feel redeemed, right? He doesn't want every person he interacts with to have a bad ending. He wants to change Lee's ending. So they try and find him, and they do. And they break him out. And all of a sudden, Lee's, like, suddenly faced with the reality of, like, I can actually go home, right? 
Like, I can actually do this. I can go home, but I am mostly metal now. Yeah. He's like, I can go home, but also I am a freak of nature. <laughs> of A freak of man, essentially. <laughs> Not nature, nothing yeah. natural about like, that. Uh, what? Uh, uh, you'll probably talk about this. Just go ahead. <laughs> yeah. So he... Um, they have, like, a kind of a long roundabout road trip to get out because they have to go by boat. And they just want to... They were trying to reach, like, a... Go a path where they won't be found by, like, the in interior police of fake Britain or whatever. And so they have a lot of chats, him and Dylan especially, about just, like, like what they're going to do once they're out. And Lee's like, I don't... I don't know. Dylan's... Dylan isn't sure either. He's like, I'm probably going to go back to fighting. Like, that's all I know at this point, right? I've just been fighting so long. I I don't know what else I would do. And Lee's like, I have no idea. I don't want to be involved anymore. He just knows he doesn't want to be involved. He kind of wants to distance himself. He can't even walk into the grocery store anymore. <laughs> right. He can't, you know, he can't do much. Um... And he's debating on whether he even wants to see his sister again, right? I, as the author, and now you are going to know that his sister is definitely still alive, and his mother was actually still alive. She got, you know, she was, you know, extremely injured, and she couldn't go back to her kids. But they've, she's found the sister since then, and they've lived together for, you know, 10 plus years <laughs> 10 plus <laughs> 10 plus and he's just been fighting so hard this whole time when he could have just gone home and found them at any time and been happy it's kind of the tragedy of the situation because of course it has to be a tragedy you're gonna see you're gonna see the tragedy when we get to the end tonight will end in tragedy <laughs> phoenix read most of the book he actually hasn't read the ending that, yeah <laughs> it is a very downer it is a very downer ending which i wasn't exactly expecting yeah. a happy ending from this book i'm going to be trying to talk while vaguely pulling up the ending so i can read to you the last line because yeah. it is it like exemplifies the downer ending but I, I think something you'll learn about us over the course of this podcast is we are fans of less traditional <laughs> methods of writing, and that includes things that would normally disappoint or upset people, such as negative endings. Right. I feel like the sad ending isn't even, like, not mainstream anymore. Like, it used to be happy endings only, right? Mm -hmm. But I feel like it's becoming more accepted to just have a sad ending okay i got it for in the future <laughs> yeah it's more accepted to have a sad ending now but i feel like right i don't know there's a certain certain vibe i'm looking for it's <laughs> like, not just anyone can write a sad ending yeah i don't know i like i think happy and sad is less of a i don't know for me it's less of interesting whether the ending is like happy or sad whether you end it, like, satisfying the character's, like, arcs, essentially. Like, a satisfying or unsatisfying okay. ending. Yeah, true. I think that's more interesting. And it's not necessarily, like, the same thing. 
We'll just get into quick writing philosophy. I think I was about to say I'm <laughs> gonna try not to go on a rant. Okay. <laughs> I just I'll just be fast. I don't necessarily think unsatisfying. I like guess obviously sounds like a bad word. I don't necessarily think it's a bad way to end. It would be bad for like an entire series or like well, yeah. a whole show. But it like in the story, I think ending character arcs in an unsatisfying way can be a really good tool, especially to like ramp up stakes you know like the easiest example would be killing a character before they achieve their goals is like a really good way to leave like a bitter taste in your, the reader's mouth to be like mm-hmm. you know they had such high hopes and aspirations and they were on track to complete their goal they were almost there and now they're never going to like we're never going to get that satisfying like not even if it's it doesn't even have to be a happy ending like that's that satisfaction of someone completing their goals yeah. I, I like when we're talking about this, I immediately think of two things. One I like and one I didn't like. And I don't even remember the name of the book I read that I didn't like the ending of. But it was kind of that same thing. But it was like the main character's entire motivation for what she was doing was her dad. Yada yada, something happens. Her dad dies. And the book just felt very like something was missing at the ending yeah like it was a sad ending i could see what the author was going for but something just felt like it was not completely there meanwhile we've talked about this before like infinity war i was very satisfyingly unsatisfied with the end of that movie right yeah like you know the heroes didn't get what they wanted, but somebody got what they yeah. wanted. <laughs> Ugh. But yeah, so for Lee, he could have been happy the whole time is really the tragedy. And he doesn't know that. In fact, it's not in the book. Only I know that, and now everybody else knows that. <laughs> <laughs> but it's that's like the tragedy is that he could have been happy. And so they're making their way back home. And, you know, obviously, this is not a good turn of events for Claire, right? She finally was in, like, a comfortable place, right? She had finally, she'd been fighting this whole time to um, have, like, you know, this success, right? And it was going to solve all her problems. She would, you know, it would fix her relationship with her family when her sister walks again and then they would be happy together and she would have she would be respected she would be a respected name and she could work wherever she wanted and do whatever she wanted it would she just had built it up in her mind as like the perfect ending was her completing this project she had put all of her stakes into it and now it's you know it's not her fault that like this escape happened right she like she wasn't in charge of that she wasn't responsible for that but now it's over right Missions a failure, the project's a failure, everyone goes home. She had, I mismen- I forgot to mention this, but she had a, a big fight when they were thinking of putting this brain chip in Lee with her best friend, Derek, um, that didn't end well. He ended up leaving the project, so they replaced him with a different guy who's like, you know, better Derek, right? He has no reservations. <laughs> better Derek. He's smarter. He's more professional. He's handpicked by these military guys. He's a friend of Dr. Steele. 
And yet, it just isn't the same for her, right? Like, she wants to pretend she doesn't care that he's gone, but, like, he is gone. And, she, you know, she can tell something's different, but, she, like, she's just blaming everybody else, right? That's the state of mind she's in. They find out that Mason was the one who sabotaged them, so he's also gone. Actually, he gets killed by Lee. He, he, uh... Hmm. When they finally get into the new facility, Mason, um, this is the beginning of the prison, of him getting broken out by Dylan. It all happens at the same time. He shuts off all of Lee's arms, right, using this chip thing in his mind. And he tries to smother him with a pillow. Because that's, you know, he doesn't want them to know that it was him, right? He wants to make it look like an accident, like the chip overloaded or something. So he's like, cranks it up to like torture Lee essentially and like cuts off all his things he's trying to strangle him and then it breaks because he was doing things with it he shouldn't have been doing <laughs> and so Lee um kills him in a bloodthirsty rage <laughs> and it is very graphic which we appreciate in this house <laughs> we appreciate a little gore every once in a while and so Dylan walks in on this carnage scene and he's like oh that's that's bad <laughs> and so they're talking about they also talk about that but back to claire she kind of gets like she hits rock bottom essentially she tries she like is following her sister around although her sister's like trying to avoid her and eventually she forces like a confrontation of like hey this is the last time i'll talk to you i just need to like talk it through with you right and she tries to explain herself because she's been keeping this whole thing a secret like what her end goal is a secret from her sister this whole time of like i wanted to give you the ability to walk and her sister kind of blows up on her like like there's nothing wrong with me like this is how i am i'm happy with my life i just wanted you to be in my life right like a you were missing the point the whole time i didn't care about like i don't care about walking i don't care about missing out on sports or whatever with the other kids i just wanted like a sister in my life like you complained so much about our stepmom leaving us while she was grieving but you did the same thing you did the same thing to me you're still doing the same thing to me and i am done like trying to be a family with you essentially like i'm happier without you in my life and so now she's gone from depressed to like angry about her situation she thinks she's being treated unfairly she kind of is like, maybe I was in the wrong, but then she's immediately like, no, I, I'm right, right? Everyone else is an idiot. <laughs> Everyone's an idiot except for me. <laughs> yeah. And she just, like, is super angry for a few days. She reconnects with Dr. Steele. I believe they go drinking. <laughs> and eventually the anger wears off and she's back to, like, being depressed and she's staying with Dr. Steele she doesn't make money anymore and she's still paying for this house she's not living in because she can't go back to and dr steel's like you are such a huge baby and a loser and you should feel bad because <laughs> she is not a good not a good friend or role model and this is the angle i want to push more is her slow corruption i started doing a little bit of the corruption of claire by dr Steele towards the end but i want to start it earlier because this is 
like what I realized that I actually wanted to tell about this character is her kind of getting radicalized because she started off, you know, idealistic and, you know, she doesn't really like the government, but she's willing to work for them if it means getting her own goals. But, you know, along the way, it becomes apparent to the reader that she's not getting her own goals. She's just becoming like a cog in the machine and she's just convinced herself that it's also benefiting her when it really isn't benefiting her total goal like she's not it's not a step kind of in the right direction it's just not helping humanity at all she's just making weapons <laughs> and you know you know Derek realizes this Mason also realizes this but he just doesn't care about that because he's just selfishly motivated Dr. Steele knows it Claire's the only one who's still lying to herself about what their actual goal is. And now that her sister has kind of defied, like, the whole purpose of her working so hard for so long and, like, told her that it was pointless, she, you know, she's in a bad spot. And so she's kind of becoming more and more malleable by to Dr. Steele and more and more um, recip... recip uh, what's the word? receptive of this kind of fascist messengery and eventually dr Steele convinces her to go to like a military parade with her and they go together and she is like i have she's like complaining the entire way she's explaining like why her life is so miserable and she's like you know my family hates me i have no job i have nothing like i have no professional integrity at this point right nobody's gonna hire me i was on like the biggest failure military project of the year it's on the news like this killing machine is out in the public you know he killed all these soldiers and he killed mason in this bloody gory bloodbath so obviously it's scandalized in the news she's never gonna get a job again and dr Steele's like yeah that's all that's what they'll say in the news but like of course we can still go back and work for the military right like they 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 saw the job we did they trust me at least and i'll put in a good word for you like i'll hinge my career on you being able to work too if, as long as you're willing to work she's like of course i'm not gonna work for them again like my life is over and so she takes her to this parade and they're standing and like they're singing the national anthem or whatever and everybody's singing around her and she gets like caught up in this moment of unity and like this moment of like brotherhood or whatever of like this is where i belong right like i don't like i don't need a family i have an entire country to look after right she becomes like radicalized and nationalized <laughs> and she realizes like i she has a greater purpose of serving the wonderful nation of fake britain with all that she can give right like that's more important than anything else in the world and she kind of latches on to this one final thing left in her life right and that's kind of the end of her story is her being like yeah it, like whatever it takes kind of she's finally acknowledging that it's whatever it takes and whatever i have to do and so she you know becomes a fascist <laughs> like she already was, but now she, like, accepts it, right? And so I... I don't know. I just think that's such, like, an interesting... I don't know. We talked about corruption arcs in one of the previous episodes. I think it was two episodes ago. I think that was, like... Or the that second... That was, like, our second episode. Yeah, that might have been the second. We talked about liking corruption arcs, and so I thought... I like 
writing corruption arcs as well. So I thought it was pretty interesting to have to explore how a, you know, a character, she starts off in a rocky, but you know, good place of, I want to help people. I want to help my sister. I love my family to like having those things, not having them taken away, but like cutting them off herself and then being lied to about whose fault it is. Like it's everyone else's fault. Right. And then, you know, now I have to serve this greater whole kind of thing. So she has, it's, it's interesting. And I didn't do this on purpose, but I, you know, I got to feel like I'm smart sometimes. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so she's very happy at her ending, but it's like a bad ending. Right. We as readers recognize this is a bad thing that has happened. She's a worse person than she was before, even if she's happier. Whereas Lee, you know, he's not necessarily, he's in a better spot, kind of. We'll get to, well, actually, we'll, we'll get to what he's up to. So he's being taken back. They're on the boat. He's talking with Dylan and Malin, and he realizes that Malin has done something, right? Malin looks guilty, and he kind of figures out what it is. But he doesn't, you know, he doesn't, I don't reveal it to the reader until they get back to fake Italy and, you know, their police is there to take him away, right? They, Melon kind of told them beforehand, hey, we're gonna, I'm gonna have like this weapon, right? It's basically enemy weapon technology that is gonna help us win the war. We just have to study him, right? And so they try and take him. He freaks out and runs, but they catch him and... Like, he told Dylan, like, I'm going to go find my sister, right? Like, he makes that dedication, and Dylan's like, good for you, right? Like, live your life, bro. They're so, they're very much bros. <laughs> yeah. Dylan's the last, they're, like, the last person that they have for each other. And he wakes up in a, you know, a nicer facility. Like, they treat him better, and the doctor's, like, kind and respectful to him. But they make it pretty clear early on that he doesn't really have a choice in the matter. Until they find out what they want to find out, he's going to be there. Right. And so I'll just read the ending part. I'll just read the ending. I was just going to read the last line, but I'll read the last paragraph. So I thought it would be a fun, you know, play on words. He's what went from Dr. Steel to now this new doctor is called Dr. Stone. <laughs> so in the meantime, Dr. Stone continued as a cart rattled in the room, the door closing behind it with a soft click. We want to learn as much from you as possible. You understand, right? It's for the good of everyone. Not just us, but your sister, your friends, and the entire country. You're making a big sacrifice. Rubber-coated hands fastened a thick strap around his waist, cinching him down then another on his upper body. He considered violence. He considered fighting back, painting this pristine room in a harsh crimson, but Lee didn't have the strength. He blinked more tears out of his eyes and his arm twitched towards his face before hesitating. He'd forgotten again. A gentle hand reached down and carefully wiped the tears from under his eyes and his heart burned with gratitude, but he didn't say anything. What would be the point? So that's my depressing ending of what would be the point. And I gave myself chills. So <laughs> I actually really liked the ending and I will be moving it towards that direction of this kind of inevitable 
tragic ending for Lee and the lesson, like, not inevitable at all ending for Claire, but equally tragic even though she doesn't recognize it. But just quickly wrapping up why that's the case, uh, I wrote this in two parts, so I talked about the first part. I wrote it in November 2019, and I didn't actually stop after November. I kept writing for the rest of, I believe, the school semester, which, you know, wasn't actually that far into December. But I made really good progress. I think I got like 50 or 60,000 words. I got to the prison break, right? It was right when Dylan and Melon were about to break out of prison. I got to that part. And I was like, hey, this is like a good halfway mark, right? And then I kind of fell off writing. And it was not the halfway mark. <laughs> but I picked it up again last year. That would be 2021. Near the end. Um, and I realized I wanted, I kind of reread the past like three or four chapters I had written. I'm like, these are pretty boring. And it doesn't really have a place it's going. But I had been subconsciously thinking about this story, like, every, you know, once in a while for the past couple of years. And so I had more of a direction of where I wanted to take it. And it was just not the same as what it had been. And I talked about this in The One Who Does Not Die, but I have the very bad issue of changing where something's going. And then it's like, well, do I keep telling the story I was telling before that I already have 50,000 words of or do I just you know pretend I had already been writing that story and then write this new one and then go back and fix that at some future point and again I chose to just finish or to write this new story which again I've heard is the wrong way to go about it <laughs> from various people <laughs> You know what? If it works in the end, who cares? Yeah, as long as I'm writing at this point. I have I have aspirations to be published, but I do not have expectations of being published. So it's not really it doesn't really matter. And that that's definitely that story is definitely never going to get, you know, published unless I completely yeah, I unless I completely rewrite the whole thing. But it has given Which, me a lot to of to be fair, how many people published their first draft? I mean, that's true. <laughs> but I mean, like, a complete rewrite. Yeah, of like, I know. Yeah. Which is also so how some people do it. Some people just always only do rewrites. They don't edit. They just rewrite the whole thing, which is crazy to me. But I also is probably what I'm going to have to do, so maybe I am people. But, yeah, as for sequel potential, honestly, I can see there being stuff like the... I, I talked about at the beginning it was originally supposed to be about the war and I can still see it being about the war but honestly I think the most interesting part of the story has already been told so any potential sequels would just be worse and less interesting with less going on just with more depressed and more convinced characters right like claire's flaw was that she thought she was right and now she just thinks she's more right <laughs> you know lee's trouble was that he was depressed and now he is and like depressed and defeated and he had you know ups and downs of like times he thought he actually could you know go back to being happy but you know now he's in his lowest point 
And so I think it would just be a more dreary and less interesting experience to have a sequel. But I do have ideas for it that I'm not going to go over because it would take too long. Not and because I'm not certain of them. Yeah. <laughs> you can only handle writing so much of that. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I think this is going to be one of those situations where I scrap the whole story for parts at some future point. I like the hounds a lot. I like Claire a lot. I like Lee a lot. I like Dylan uh, less than I used to, but I still like him. But I really like, you know, the corruption that Claire undergoes by Dr. Steele. I like, you know, the fallout she has with her friend Derek. I like Mason's character of, like, you know, being sneaky and, like, he's got his whole thing going on that just people don't know about. But, you know, it's kind of respectable almost, right? Yeah. <laughs> Lying. <laughs> Like, he just is trying to improve his life, and he's willing to do anything he can to do that. So he's lying about his qualifications, and he gets the job done. He's, like, good at his job at some point, right? Where it doesn't matter, right, that he doesn't have the qualifications. He kind of forces himself to learn enough that he becomes qualified. Yeah. Honestly, the way you described him during this gave me Ash for vibes. Just the way he's, like... Seems like a respectable guy. He's pretty cool. <laughs> and then just, like, suddenly and very <laughs> rapidly turns. Nope, you're a monster. But you still get to go to cat heaven for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> what the heck? <laughs> it's so weird. Anyway, Warriors is weird. We will talk about it at some point, <laughs> and it will be a nightmare situation. The Warrior oh episode gosh. is probably just going to be us bagging on Warriors forever, and then at the end we're like, I love this series so much. <laughs> That's effectively <laughs> what we did last time we talked. That's true. Man. But yeah, that's The Hounds. That's what it's called. I think that's a better name than The One Who Does Not Die. Um... Hounds doesn't mean anything. <laughs> so, yeah. I'm sticking with... I'm pretty sure it had something to do with human-operated, unified... It sounds good. Uh, I still don't know what the last two could be. Yeah. It's definitely a... I came up with the name Hounds and then tried to come up well, with an yeah. acronym after the fact. <laughs> Nobody comes up with a good acronym on accident. You just gotta... <laughs> You gotta make the acronym and then make it make sense. You gotta twist a little bit. Yeah, that's true. Or you could just take the Doom Path, have this acronym for something, and then just be like, this information was never revealed to the public of what it stands for. <laughs> Vega. Yeah. But yeah, that's that. I'm all done. <laughs> cool. Nice. You're next. I'm next. Oh boy. Whatever I tell next depends on how much I think in the next <laughs> space between episodes. <laughs> Alright, well, how do we end episodes? Do we have. We don't. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening. Um, Me in the future? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Say. Oh my 
gosh. Start writing, you lazy idiot. <laughs> Start writing right now. <laughs> no me. Stop listening to this podcast of yourself and start writing. <laughs> I can't tell myself that because I'm usually usually i'm every time i listen to a podcast it's when i'm in a position where i can't write oh i i'm always i usually listen while i'm playing a game <laughs> so <laughs> no i like to get invested in things so if if i'm playing a game i'm invested in the game i don't listen to extra music while i'm playing or anything i'm in the game fully if I'm reading, I'm reading fully. If I'm listening to a podcast, I'm mentally all there, but my body is on autopilot doing my job. <laughs> yeah. For me, it's like, I feel bad if I'm not doing enough stuff, right? If I'm doing something important, I can get invested into it fully. But, like, I feel like a lot of games and, like, listening to a podcast or a book or something is, like, a half thing. Because I can be doing something else while I'm doing it, right? So I'll be like, I'm fine if I'm going for a walk and listening to something. Or if I'm like playing, you know, not like a story game, right? If I'm playing like a story rich game, then I have to focus on the game. But if I'm playing like Minecraft or like Civ or something, then I can 100% listen to a book and I will 100% be listening to that or like watching a YouTube video or something. I used to think I could do that. And then... I was playing Warframe one day, and, which is a completely <laughs> mindless game. You don't have to think at all to play that. Um, and I, for once, I was like, you know what? I'm doing some super grinding. I'm just going to listen to some music while I'm playing. You would not believe how hard that threw me off. I, I like swear I couldn't visually process the game because I was listening <laughs> to something else. I'm like... This, whenever I came to a boss fight, I had to stop the music so I could focus <laughs> on the boss fight. That's crazy. That's weird. I am definitely not like that. I focus better when I am listening to something. So I do I. It just has to be directly <laughs> correlated to what I'm doing. Man. But yeah, ending. Yay! <laughs> Yay! Okay, um, should we continue the joke of find us on? <laughs> you know what? Actually, I, I've lied. I technically do have a Twitter account under the name Nocturnal Phoenix. Nice. <laughs> I just don't ever look at it. But if you want to contact <laughs> us somehow, that's your only shot. I had a Twitter account and then I deleted it last semester because I hated browsing Twitter. <laughs> it became a habit when I didn't have anything else to do and I hated it. So I deleted it mm -hmm. and I think I have remade it. I've done that a purely. Times. I purely remade it just because it linked to a website that I made an account on and that was it. <laughs> I have not used it otherwise. Yep. So my, my Twitter tag is nocturnal phoenix because apparently adding the X was too long. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Thank you, And Twitter. I couldn't think of any good way to shorten it while still having it look good, so it's Nocturnal <laughs> Phoenix. <laughs> Thanks, Twitter. Um, well, I guess I've 
I'm Flamingo. Yep. <laughs> I'm Phoenix. Yay. And this episode is not as long as the last time we did this. Honestly, <laughs> I don't think we're ever going to push that mark again. It's like two hours, right? Yeah. The one who does not die was a solid <laughs> just under two hours. Well, I'm like 30 minutes under that. Yeah. That's pretty good. Uh, if after cutting out all my silence, this is about where my episode landed. <laughs> Sweet, um, but yeah, oh, I might even be able to shorten this by several minutes more again. <laughs> yeah, we are doing a lot of rambling here at the end. <laughs> I don't know. That's yeah. Okay. Just leave it. In. Sometimes you just need it's some fine, unwinding. <laughs> That's true. Uh, we were just gonna unwind anyway. It doesn't matter. <laughs> It's in the thing. It's Unwind, or we could unravel. Cue music! <laughs> <laughs> I wish you could all see the look I just shot him as I said that. <laughs> For anyone okay. else who's a Warriors fan, look up the two-week Needletail MAP <laughs> unravel. Even if you're not, it will make no sense, but it's worth a, worth a watch. It's worth a watch. And I'm not a fan of anime at all. I don't even like any of the songs I've ever heard from it. But that freaking cover of <laughs> the Tokyo Ghoul theme. <laughs> Dang! It's good. It's good. We were going to do a... Like a... In-between episode next time. Heck yeah, we are. Are we going to have Darkstalker ready in time? I don't know. That depends. We've been because I want to go for... through these two books yeah, first and then do. Darkstalker, but mark our words, Darkstalker, <laughs> Darkstalker is coming within the next three intermission episodes. A much needed Darkstalker deep dive. More people need to be talking about this book. I think it should be taught in schools. <laughs> you know how you, you know, actually, how, though. you know how you read like you know actually like fiction books in middle school and elementary school and then like talk about them and stuff mm -hmm. and not like classics you know right yeah like we read unwind in middle school do you have to read yeah, that I remember. we went to the same middle school i just don't know if it was just my teacher or something. no i'm pretty sure that was a universal thing for okay our, like well district. I, I didn't know that but we read this book called unwind in middle school and i think it should be that kind of situation yeah like, they're trying to teach us politics. I don't care. Give me dragons. <laughs> <laughs> right? But it's, like, so good, right? And I just remember really enjoying Unwind. Not because, like, the book was particularly good. I think it was fine. But just because the discussions we got to have in class are really cool. Uh, for those who have not read Unwind, it's, you know, the the catchy premise is, like, that you can take people apart bit by bit and reuse all of their bodies, right? Like, think organ transplants, but their entire body. But it's not technically killing them because their conscience still remains. Just, like, spread thinly between all their body parts to the point where they can't think of anything. And it's just a cool thought kind of experiment that we got to have in class of, like, would you rather die than be unwound? Or, like, is it ever acceptable to like unwind someone or like if they're a criminal or if they're brain dead or something and they were just fun discussions to have and i think there are lots of discussions to be had about dark stalker and we are going to have them oh, yeah. <laughs> we should have a uh, an episode someday 
just we'll call it our argumentative essay episode where we both just bring the things we know we are most controversial with each other about <laughs> the <laughs> hottest like... takes we have let's do it not even just like in general specifically directed towards each other <laughs> man what would that be that would be fun to think about i don't know but i'm sure it would uh every time we're talking from this point on and we say something and the other's like no you're freaking stupid <laughs> like all right write it down write it down write it down All right. Yeah, that's probably enough. This is like our third ending. Our third <laughs> ending. <laughs> okay, I'm going to end this before we get out of hand. Oh, crap. My mouse is off. Goodbye.